Okay. <clears throat> me, me, me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you don't sing. I, this is my vocal Focus. warm-up. Oh, God. Oh, dude. <clears throat> she made me sing. I, first of the all, intro to one of our shows. I didn't make you do that. <laughs> yes, you you encouraged yourself to go. Ahead. <laughs> He's like, you know what I should do? I should sing the intro. <laughs> no, that was you. That was her. So the only thing worse than me singing the intro was you trying to be the guitar part. <laughs> but then you're like, you're like, meow, meow. <laughs> like, wow. Oh my God. Anyway. I was trying to give you the beat. I know, I know, I know. Okay, so shall we start the show? Hold on, I have to get in my serious mode. <laughs> <laughs> Del's just like, what's going on here? It's all right. <laughs> When you open the door for somebody else. Welcome in to the Vaccine Conversation with Melissa and Dr. Bob. This is season two. It is great to be back. You're, why are you laughing already? Every time. I'm uh, sorry. <clears throat> I am here and I am officially in my zone. All right. Okay. Welcome back, everyone. This is See, <laughs> See we can't be mellow. Okay. You're like, you want to be serious and mellow. We just okay, can't, can't be serious can't. and no, mellow. No, I can't. I definitely right. can't. Ready? Okay. Action. Okay. <laughs> this. <laughs> Have we started or are you going to make me start over? No, we're going to keep all that. Okay. Okay. This is season two. We are back. <laughs> and... <laughs> and Melissa has the giggles. <laughs> So, yeah. I particularly love the bong hit before we started today. I think that's the best way oh to do it. Oh my God. Well, so in, in case our guests don't recognize who just spoke in the microphone. Wait, who is that? That is the very, very memorable memorable voice of Mr. our good friend, Mr. Del Bigtree. The from, one and only. From the High Wire. So, yeah. What? Welcome in, Del. Wait, wait, wait. It's great to be here, Bob. The, the Del. Del Bigtree the from the High Wire is here in the studio yes. in right studio. now. It's oh. not... It's not just me, you know, oh it's, you get, also get Del Bigtree. What? Right? This is going to be exciting. Yeah. So thank you, Del. Thank you for uh, joining us. And, um, you know, this is, uh, you know, season two, the very first episode of, uh, of uh, season two of the podcast. We're totally excited to do this. And we've taken almost like a two month break, I think. I think it's wow. been two months. It's been crazy. I have been waiting patiently yeah, <laughs> to get back while Dr. Bob has taken his break. Yeah, Melissa's like, yeah, every day she texts me, can we start now? Like, can we do it today? How about now? Can we, pos- you know, can we podcast list, today? How about tomorrow? My list is like so long. I've got everything ready. I mean, I have like the next five yeah. episodes ready to go in here because yep. we're, and, and we're going to do it a little differently at the mm-hmm. beginning of this season, not the whole season, but the beginning of this season, per my request, I want to take things just a little bit more seriously to, mm-hmm. to bring some really interesting things to yeah. the forefront. And we are going to have some really great people that you know and some you don't know, but everyone is going to be somebody who's impactful in one way or another and who is doing something for this medical freedom movement, informed consent movement, and who's, who are fighting mandates. And what I wanted to do, my vision for this was to make sure that everyone we bring to you, that you will hear something from them that you've never heard before. And so that's particularly hard with today's guest because <laughs> you get to see him every Thursday. And I talk a lot everywhere I go. Yes. So it's, yeah. it's... Which everybody loves. And, yeah. and the thing is, is we tend to hear a lot of 
the same kinds of topics because this is what we're covering. And what I want to do is I want you guys to get an inside look at who Dell is, Dell the person, Dell the man, and get an idea in the second part of this about what the new work he's doing, what comes next for him and what he needs from you, what he needs from our listeners and the public to sort of help his vision come to life and what we can all do to go further with this. So please no hate mail about the more serious tone because it's funny. It's (laughs) like, we're joking. We get the bad reviews. If we're not joking, we'll get, we'll get some of those reviews. What we're trying to do or what I'm trying to do is make sure that we're offering you something different, something new. And we have some really, really interesting topics coming up. And I'm so excited for today's interview because I have a whole list of questions Mm -hmm. that I want to know and I think you want to know too. And I'm really curious to see how Dell opens up in this intimate conversation. You're used to him as a very charismatic and very energetic speaker. And that's what he does so well and why he is so well known in this movement. And and I want to do a little something different today. I'll try not to be charismatic. (laughs) Don't be charming. Don't be any of those things. (laughs) So my first, my first question, I'll ask you, Dr. Bob, first, when was the first time that you saw or heard Dell or Dell speak? And what did you think? Yeah. um, I, I mean, it was probably at one of the Vaxxed events, I'm pretty sure. um, One of the the very first Vaxxed screenings. And I met you, I kind of saw you speak there. But for me, I think the the first time I really saw you speak and give like a really long, you know, uh, presentation and lecture was at the talker conference. I feel like that was the first time I really mm. sat down and, and got to just listen to you. And Melissa was there too. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, you're the way you were presenting um, a lot of the similar ideas that, that I was, that we were, but you were framing them in such a fascinating way, such an interesting way that was really like, oh my gosh, that's, like, you know, you're saying it like way better than I say, it. like, like, that's what I'm trying to say. And then, mm. you know, Melissa's saying it, you know, better than both of us were, but, but, you know, you're, you're doing pretty good. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. no, but, but I was like, um, I was like, wow, that is so fascinating. Just the, the ideas and the concepts about mandatory vaccination and, um, and how you're really nailing it. So that kind of made me really, really go like, wow, that's kind of like, uh, that's more than the Vax Dell. That's, you know, the Dell who's really here to take on the issue of mandatory vaccination. I was like, wow, that was, that was really cool. And I'll say, I think it was the same conference was the first time that I saw you speak. And I came up to you afterwards. You, I'm sure you don't remember I the lines. Do. The, I, the I lines remember. are always long. Um, yeah, I, 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 I got Melissa he to the did. front of the line. He got line me to the front of the line. Yeah. I used my connections. <laughs> and I remember... When I was watching you speak, I remember thinking to myself, this guy is such a good speaker. Like I am so, I tend to be a little critical of, I have very high standards. And I think I said that to you actually, when I talked to you is I'm, I'm a perfectionist and I, and I, it's not often that I get really impressed with people. And I remember it was so fluid and it was so easy to listen to. And then you talked about things in journalism and the tenets of journalism, the foundation for that, which I, like you're saying, was never really something that has been talked about as it relates to sort of this movement. And you came with a different approach. You came with interesting ideas. But more than that, you just had a very captivating 
presence as you spoke and it drew me in and I was absolutely impressed to the point where I said to him, I want to go meet him. Otherwise, I would have just been like, eh, all right, let's go, because <laughs> yeah. we had already done our thing. And, um, and, I, and I rem- that just stuck so vividly in my mind that I remember telling people all the next week that, were, that I work with in this, just like, oh, my gosh, I saw, you know, Del- I saw him speak and like, man, that guy is amazing. He's really, really impressive. I didn't know exactly where your role would be in this. And of course, that was a couple years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it was over two years ago, I think. But two and a half years ago. that was definitely the first time that you were on my radar Mm. and that you really um, stood out to me as somebody who could make a a really big difference and who does it in such an effortlessly way, an effortless way. Um, But I'm going to start with my first question. So our part one is getting to know Dell, the person. Can can I ask Dell, what did you think of Melissa and me when you first (laughs) met us? He doesn't doesn't remember. (laughs) No, I actually saw you guys speak, I think, at the same event. Uh, but Bob, I had, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, when we were making Vaxxed, I started, you know, I was in Austin at times in Andy Wakefield's basement working on Vax, But then I was coming here to shoot footage of SB277. Uh, and you, of course, were, you know, a you know major personality in the center of that. And at that moment, I was still the person I'd been up to there, which was a producer a cameraman. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I was doing what I had done on the Dr. Phil show and what I'd done on the doctor's television show. And so I was really impressed with how, first of all, how you were putting the thoughts together so simply, but how bold and courageous you were. I mean, it looked to me like you were really putting your career on the line, and I found that fascinating. So that was the first time I think I went up to you, I believe it was at the event in, um, in Southern California. Where was it? it was in, it was in uh, Anaheim. There's like a, a a march outside of a Democratic yeah. convention or something Yo, like oh, that. Oh, yeah. You were there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, the, yeah. The Anon Convention Center. Yeah. 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 yeah Melissa was there, too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's right. where I remember. You know, and of course, I know your brother really well. I mm-hmm. mean, Jim Sears yeah. and I had been, you know, had worked together very closely on the doctors for six years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... It was, you know, it was interesting transition saying, oh, this is Jim's brother. And so, you know, we kind of go back in a, in a, in a unique way, I think. Yeah. So. All right. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah. So okay. my first question to you is what moment or experience in your life would you say prepared you for this particular fight, considering how much the odds are against us? You know, I, I contemplate that a lot, actually. Like, how did I get here? Um, I, uh, you know, I've answered that question different ways for different people. A lot of times I'll say I'm here because I think how I was raised, how my parents raised me uh, to question authority. Uh, my parents pulled me out of school in fourth grade because they felt like I was just sort of doing what everyone, you know, what my friends wanted me to do. And they wanted me to be an original critical thinker and to sort of pursue my own um, experience. Just this sort of quick story, I think that was, I was in about, uh, I think it was fourth grade. And my brother and sister and I would walk to school in Boulder, Colorado. We we were uh, at Columbine Elementary and it was about four blocks away from where 
uh, our house was. And so my little sister and I would walk to school, and and then we'd come back for lunch. And one day I was walking to school, and the, and the day before in art class we'd made these batik, you know, these dyed shirts where you use wax, and I wrote the name of my gymnastics team on it. And uh, which was the flyers? I remember it said flyers. I don't know if you could really read it. It was dye, but I felt <laughs> it felt pretty cool that I'd made it. And I walked to school, and then I came back for lunch. And my mom, I remember, you know, I came to the door, and she said, "What happened to the T-shirt you were wearing this morning?" And I said, "Oh, Craig said it looks stupid, and he lives right next door to the school, and so uh, I just borrowed one of his T-shirts." And my mom literally pulled us out of school the next day. I never saw public school again until high school, and that was fourth grade. And she said, I'm never going to raise kids that care what other people think. And Mm -hmm. um, so that's a really core value system that was sort of put into me. But I've got a newer answer to that that really just hit me uh, a couple days ago. Um, You know, I was also a theater person, and we were talking about this. I did musical theater growing up. a lot of performing, and uh, I was in New York at, at a time as an actor and singer and dancer, and I booked the lead in Hair, the musical, uh, the Broadway <laughs> touring company. I played wow. George Berger all over Europe. Uh, wow. So Switzerland, Belgium, Holland, um, Germany. And it was right after the Berlin Wall came down, so it was really, the show was huge. And, mm. and for all of my friends that had made fun of me being in musical theater growing up and in high school, you know, there I was like a rock star, and um, it was, we were playing stadiums, and people really liked the idea of it. But for people, you know, Hair, the musical, most people know the film, but the musical itself, George Berker is sort of this radical, outrageous character. He's sort of like the clown uh, of the show. He doesn't take things seriously. There's two lead male characters, and the other characters, Claude, and Claude, it's all about burning your draft card and not wanting to go to war, and mm-hmm. Claude's very verklempt around the, you know, he's this beautiful sort of Christ-like, you know, image throughout the show, and he just doesn't want to let anyone down, like, he doesn't want to let his parents down, doesn't want to let people down, and I remember when I when I got Burger and I was talking to the original writer, Jim Rado, and, and to the original director, I had the same conversation with um, Tom O'Horgan, who had directed on Broadway, I said, I, you know, I keep, you know, I'd, I'd done a small version in Colorado and everyone looked at me as George Berger. I'm George Berger again, but I really think I'm Claude. I'm a much more introspective person. I really do care what people think. And they both laughed and said, no, you're really Berger. And I don't know, you'd have to sort of understand that show, but it really captures the tumultuous experience of the 60s and the infighting, and it even happens in the cast. There's something about that show that has a natural tension to it, you know, where I'd be too wild and other cast members thought I was upstaging them and things like that. It's all part of how it rolls together. But it just occurred to me recently that as much as I didn't think I was like that character George Berger, I actually think I'm exactly now what George Berger would have grown up to be, which is I really don't, you know, I don't worry about what people think. And I don't know. And I, and I asked my, I guess when I was thinking about it, I'm asking myself, did that role actually affect me? Am I in this position? And I've been thinking about this a lot, raising my, my son and my daughter right now. 
And you see similarities. I see a shyness in my son that I used to have. Mm-hmm. I used to be very shy, had trouble, you know, going on to a new baseball team or a soccer team. And I'm trying to, you know, work my son through that. And I was thinking this sort of came up was, when did I change? When did I become this person that sort of just walks onto a stage and fearlessly, you know, kind of lets it rip and has, you know, I feel very free in that experience. And... uh so that role, I think, really did hmm. somehow get into my bones. And hmm. maybe, what was that, 1994 or so, you know, 20-something years ago, um, was probably a really big transition that I think set me up for uh, this moment. Hmm. That's, That's so cool. Yeah, yeah very I, if, interesting. If you're in this fight, I, I guess you, you can't really care what other people think about you, mm-hmm. especially if you're going to take the minority position and fight, you know, mm-hmm. a majority position or fight a, a mainstream or well-funded position. You, I think you're right. You have to have that, that character. You have to have too. a very thick skin. You have yeah. to have the ability to get knocked down and get back up again over and over and over and over. I was just explaining that to um, a friend of mine in the media uh, about how hard it is to be on this side of things because it gets exhausting always being on the defense and always having to battle and always having to fight. And it's not for everyone. And for a lot of people, it's too much. And this is why we see people come and go. And you have to just have this resolute Mm -hmm. conviction to be able to push through it because it's not easy. It certainly is not easy, like many things in life, but this is one of them. Yeah, and you can't waste your energy trying to defend like yourself as a person when people are attacking your person. You just let that go. You move on and you get back to the issues and the information and and uh, I think that's that's uh, what I think saves you from a lot of personal uh, trauma. Yeah, even, in this. even when you're saying that, I kind of think that having that background in theater helps because when I read – I mean, you know, we, we read our names in Washington Post, Vanity Fair, New York Times. I see my name next to things like, you know, misinformation, lies or killing babies, you know, and – I guess you know for it, it it's almost like they're talking they're talking about someone else and, right. I, and I have a sense you know you ever mm-hmm. stand in a grocery store line and think what does Jennifer Aniston think when she has to read that headline about herself in you know us mm-hmm. magazine like whether it's true or not and I imagine now that I'm experiencing it you, it's not really you you yeah. sort of look yeah. at it like it's just a character like they don't yeah. Those people don't know who they don't Del know Bigtree you. is. They're right. creating some image exactly. of who they think I am. So it, yeah. you know, it's yep. kind of like, yeah, it's not like I'm playing a character, but they're creating a character that's not You're me. a stereotype. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm they being, created yeah. that for you. Yeah. 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 Um, well, and that kind of touches on one of my further questions, but I'll go to my next one. This is, did you immediately understand the level of pushback and negative labeling that you would get speaking out on this issue? Yeah, I think um, there's no way to prepare or understand what it feels like mm-hmm. uh, to have the sort of level of animosity, anger, rage, you know, pushback, as you put it. But I knew uh, from, you know, again, I had a judgment that that would happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was very to. First of all, I'm working on a medical talk show. There's a real perspective of the vaccine issue. And there's definitely uh, a very known and palpable opinion about 
Dr. Andy Wakefield. Right. And so to leave my television career to make a documentary where not only is Andy Wakefield in it, he's the director and I'm producing it. So I'm basically endorsing one of the most iconic and controversial medical figures in history. And And, plus you're not making him the villain. Right. And I'm not making him the villain. Um, So I had to do a fairly deep dive on him um, to really... Was this on the doctor's show? No, this is... So this is when I'm moving towards... So I... Right. You know, a lot of people have told this story before. I I heard about the Thompson, Dr. William Thompson, the whistleblower story at the CDC. Inside contacts reached out to me. Would you cover this on the doctors? I pitched it. Our show wasn't going anywhere near it. But it took about a month or two. I don't know the exact timeline. All that's a little bit hazy. But it was something I really felt like I wanted to be a part of. And a really miraculous set of coincidences or miracles or however you want to look at it really brought Andy and I together. And so the moment I realized... Um, you know, I flew down myself. He, you know, expressed that he had an hour and 45 minute cut of a documentary that I wanted to make. I mean, he had to understand for like three months. I'm like, somebody should be investigating this story. I didn't know Andy already had. And so when I made that discovery, I said, let me see what you've got. And at that point, you know, I realized that this was what I was supposed to be doing. But who, you know, what's going to happen if I align with Andy, if I make this film, mm-hmm. you know, I, I warned my wife right away. I said, look, I'm about to really make a drastic um, and risky decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's going to probably very well ruin my TV career, at least for the time being. And so I knew there would be pushback. But you have to understand, I wasn't going to be a voice. I wasn't going to be a speaking right. entity in this. That sort of happened... So when that you know, started, once that yeah. started, did you feel, did you, did you think I'm already in this at this point, I'm committed to this and therefore I'll take what they give me because I can't stay silent? Yeah. I, it all became part of a, a strategy as we were nearing, the, it was sort of, a, again, stepping into Vaxxed, I just really, for the first time in my life, sort of got out of my way completely. There's so many times in my life where I was wondering, why am I doing this? Why am I on the doctor's television show? Why am I doing on Dr. I wanted to be a filmmaker. Just these things that, you know, my friends are like, boy, you really could be more grateful. I mean, you won an Emmy Award. Your life looks amazing to us here in Boulder, Colorado. But I, I really felt like there was something I was supposed to be doing uh, and I wasn't. And Vaxxed, it really suddenly became clear. In fact, you know, I would just say simply, I'm much more a believer in my experience working on Vaxxed and what's happened in my life now that we we have much less to do with where our lives go. I mm-hmm. think there's something that's already predetermined. I don't know how that works, but it, it just so many things made sense about the journey my life had been on that it seemed like I'd been trained for this moment in a very eerie and magical way. Um, But when we were coming to the end of Vax, we were running out of time. I mean, we were worried Thompson could be killed. Thompson could be disappeared. We needed this story out. SB 277, uh, you know, had passed. And pharma, the pharma takeover of the nation was underway. And we just got to the point where we had some holes still in the film, a few places where we couldn't 
quite piece the ideas together. And Andy said, Del, why don't, you, why don't we interview you? I mean, you're coming from media. You have that perspective. Um, let's interview you and ask you to sort of fill in these spaces the way you see it. And so at the very last minute, I ended up being in Vax. That wasn't a plan from the beginning. And so that is just all. And then once that happened, um, we sort of recognized we were going to be attacked. We knew the Mm -hmm. film would be attacked. And so we came up with a strategy, which was, you know, Andy, why don't, if you go out and hit the microphone as the director right off the bat, it's just going to become about the Lancet paper, and we will not be able to talk about William Thompson, and we won't be able to talk about the facts in the film. So let me take the questions hmm. for the first couple of weeks. Like, let me just go out as a producer, a guy who worked for the doctor's television show. Let me try and keep this tracking towards the actual facts and of our documentary and take the yeah. focus yeah. off. Of, they're going to want to go after right you. Right after him. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we did. I mean, it really – and I think it worked because about three weeks or a month in – and right about then, we decided, okay, Andy, now step up and start talking about your film. And at that point, he ended up being on Fox, did a really good interview. And the dialogue, it was still harsh, but it had shifted. It wasn't where he was being edited to death and he mm-hmm. wasn't getting to make his point or talk about Thompson. So all of that, you know. And did I know? Um, yeah. You know, I, I – I've, Right when we thought we, you know, when when we were supposed to be in Tribeca, and then all hell's breaking loose, we were worried we were going to get kicked out. And then um, Robert De Niro stood up and defended our film and said, "We're keeping this film in Tribeca." I think that was on about a Wednesday, um, and on Thursday, I said to my wife, "I said, Lee, I don't think the Dell Big Tree you married." Or who you know, or who I know is going to be the same by Monday. I think my whole life is about to change. So let's go to Palm Desert. Let's have one last weekend where we just have our privacy and our lives because what I'm involved in here, there's going to be attack. This thing is going to get really crazy. And I think we were driving up Friday afternoon, and I got a call from ABC News. We want to interview you. And I said, well, you know, they said we're doing a big expose on Tribeca Film Festival. It, you know, it's going to air Sunday afternoon. When, where are you? I said, well, I'm heading to Palm Desert. They said, fine, we're sending a crew there. So we never really even got the weekend. <laughs> but I had yeah. that sense. And yeah. sure enough, in, you know, we by the time it was airing on Sunday, it was an hour before, I'm about to be on the news for the first time that I got a call from our distributor. You've been kicked out of Tribeca Film Festival. I said, what are you talking about? I just did a whole expose on mm. being in Tribeca, you know, talking about how much I appreciated it. And um, they said, yeah, we've, you know, been challenging them. They're not going to run this film. And so. Even Robert De Niro couldn't. Even Robert De Niro, which just shows you how powerful this industry is. But that was. um, So, yeah, I had a sense. But again, you don't know what it's going to be like. Okay. So that I I wasn't prepared for. As a follow up to that, then, does it frustrate you? To be labeled, like you said, misinformation, to constantly be called an anti-vaxxer, and to have all that negative stigma put with you. Does that, personally, does it hurt or frustrate you when you continue to see that happen? Yeah. I mean, I think it's frustrating. I don't know that it hurts because it's like having a third grader speak to you in some sort of condescending way. (laughs) 
Yeah. You know, it doesn't hurt. You look at them like you don't know what you're talking about, and you don't know how much danger you're in, and you don't recognize how much danger you're putting people in because you're not listening, you're not reading, mm-hmm. you're not critically thinking. Um, so it's just a frustration. It doesn't hurt me because I'm not hurt when my, you know, five-year-old has an attitude about something I've told them. You know, that's sort of what it feels like. I'm watching all of these things happen in, you know, SB 276 and watching people that have been elected to represent us mm-hmm. step up to microphones and speak platitudes like there's 18 books on Amazon that are mm. full of misinformation and how do we refute that? 18 books that you, I know, couldn't even list the titles of, have never read, right. you know, so right. to you that's a talking point, but people actually spent, you know, a year or two of their life writing those books and having, you know, strong evidence, which would be really nice if you'd actually read it, especially since you have thousands of your own constituents wrapped around this Capitol right now with injured children sitting in your offices like, okay, I mean, I get it. I get it's hard to accept that doctors and the World Health Organization and the CDC, you know, They've obviously got the right information, and why would I listen to anybody else? Okay, except for you have real eyewitnesses sitting in your offices, you know, children that are clearly injured, and parents telling you an incredibly compelling story. It's kind of incumbent upon you to go another step and say, let me actually investigate this. Let me actually read what I'm being told is the misinformation. Let me actually come up with a coherent question about what would the misinformation be? What's frustrating is how many times I hear that repeated and I've yet to see a single example of what I've said you're claiming to not be true. Right, right. I I almost never see somebody say anything that's untrue on all these social media posts, all these newspaper articles, you know, uh, uh, op-eds that people submit. They're all submitting information with data and evidence and I can't even remember the last time I, I read one of those and I thought, oh, well, that, you know, they stretched that or that's not quite true. They're not stretching the truth. They every, almost everything is factual and it, it, it does. It frustrates and, me the way they treat and it. And by the way, we reach out to each other. If like, you know, I've yeah. gotten oh, yeah. calls yeah. from Bob or, you know, from Tony Bark saying you're not exactly right on how you describe that. Your mitochondria works this way or mm-hmm. – and I – thank you. You know, thank yeah. you. And, yeah. and there's been two occasions I think in the 140 episodes where I've gone on the show and said I want to make sure I made a misstatement so that yeah. no one – I don't want anyone – Making a misstatement because they heard it from me incorrectly. And because we have to hold ourselves to a higher bar, we are being accused of not telling the truth all the time. Mm -hmm. Whereas Paul Offit and Peter Hotez spew – and most of these politicians like Richard Pan – Spew misinformation constantly, which mm-hmm. is and misleading and misleading yeah. information. Yeah. But I mean, direct. Yep. You know, I mean, in an interview, you know, I, mean, I remember when when Senator Richard Pan sat on the microphone and someone asked about the religious aspect mm-hmm. and aborted fetal DNA in vaccines, and he said, unfortunately. 
that's a myth. There is no aborted fetal DNA right. in vaccines. But that's that because is... he goes on semantics. He said there are no fetal cells versus a cell line. And he goes, he does things right. like that where he'll pick a word and he'll say, well, I'm not technically lying, but of course he can, t- he misleads Well, you're giving him more colleagues. credit than I well, give right, him. Yeah, right, I don't even right, think, right, I mean, no, if he's d- that calculated, well, just maybe so he is. Clear, yeah, I mean, technically yeah. there are, I don't think there are like whole, whole fe- cells yeah, exactly. from the fetuses in there, it's right. Derivatives right. Of cell they use lines. the cell lines to create the vaccines, but right. there are DNA fragments, yes. fragments and yes. protein fragments right. from those cells. But, right. but like technically, he's right. There aren't entire fetal right. cells in the vaccines, and I think you're right. That's how he gets away with it. But yeah. it's interesting that you mention Assemblyman Cooper is is who mentioned the Amazon in the books because I was in a meeting with him yeah. just last week um, with myself with my own daughter who was injured by vaccines and three or four other parents were in that room with him with real stories and there were constituents there and he spent the time of our meeting talking about Amazon and the books on Amazon and this misinformation and exactly what he said in the assembly floor hearing, which was, we just met with the World Health Organization and they say X, Y, and Z. And I was pointing out to him, here is the HHS statement that shows standard of care number seven, which says it has to follow ACIP guidelines, which equals the CDC guidelines. And he's kind of like, well, that's the kind of, you know, those are details we have to sort of figure out at some time. But there are 18 books on Amazon. I went right into that. I'm thinking this is a group of 10 people who have waited all day to get into this meeting. He's going to give us five to six minutes of time. Mm -hmm. And instead of actually taking the time to find out what went wrong with our kids and why our kids still won't qualify for medical exemptions under 276, which is his job as a representative, like you're saying, he already had his bullet point set up of the, of the portion of this narrative he's going to cover because nobody covered that part. So that was going to be his part to cover. And you could tell he was not educated on the details of this bill. And this is what we see time and time again, which is, one of the reasons which, it's so frustrating. Which I, and I don't understand it. I mean, I don't understand Senator Pan. I don't understand Cooper. I don't understand any of these people because to me, when you look at politics, I thought debating and, and like really like coming to the truth and proving your truth, you know, was part of the interest in being a politician. You know, I if I was a politician, I would really savor the moment that someone's going to come in and challenge my perspective because either... I'm going to change the perspective or it's going to get me to do some deeper, you know, look into what I'm saying and make me have a stronger position. Uh, But that's how I address everybody. I mean, anyone I interview, whether I mean, whether I'm being interviewed, I'm fascinated by people that believe in this vaccine program. Like, answer some questions for me. Yeah. Like, where how much research did you do? Does it not bother you that there's never been an inert placebo study? Well, Either they'll say, well, that's not true. Well, no, it is true because right. they're now all admitting and they'll say, have you heard this line that we don't do placebo studies because yeah. because it'd be unethical? Yeah, right. Oh, yeah, I've heard right. that. Okay, so then that – you don't have the argument that that is – that there are placebo studies. They've just told you they're not. So now here we are. It's unethical. Now, does it not bother you that the pharmaceutical industry that poisons people and loses billion-dollar cases for lying about the safety of drugs has a product they've never run through the same safety studies as those drugs? You know, I want to know the. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm you want to have the debate. You I have really want to know how you right. got to this position. Right. How do yeah. you feel? You're as strong as you are, and and you know you sort of ask like, how do you get into this? Or where? I've always been 
a debater. I've yeah, always so. been argumentative. I used to be a rabid progressive liberal. I mean, from Boulder, Colorado. I've <laughs> always. I remember. I remember. I was uh, on a soccer team in, in high school, my senior year, and uh, a, a new kid came in from Boise, Idaho. And we ended up being friends, and and he says, man, you guys don't have a debate team here. And I was like, what the heck is a debate team? And he's like, oh, well, in Boise, we have debate teams where you don't know if you're going to be pro or con, but you're given a topic, and then you have to argue the other team, and there's competitions. And we went to the state championships, and if you win those, you go to the national championships. And I remember, like, I almost had tears in my eyes. Like, I was like, I was born in the wrong place. I would have been so good at that. That's what I remember thinking in high school. God, I would have loved that. I love, and it doesn't matter which side I'm on. Right, of course. I'm down to argue, you know what I mean? That's the beauty of it. That's the beauty of it. Yeah, that'd be interesting to argue a side that you don't naturally hold to. I was on the debate team in eighth grade. It It was amazing. It was, uh, I did journalism, like seventh grade, and then did debate team eighth grade. In high school, we could only have one elective, so I didn't have the chance. But the idea of here's an issue, you're forced to be on this side, and you need to argue it to win yeah. it is such a great mm-hmm. developmental tool for a skill set that you need as an adult because it helps you to see both sides of an issue, and it helps you to develop an opinion that might not be your own, that you might not have had before, which is great. And I mean, I thought I was going to go into you know law school, so it was directly kind of in, a, in, yeah. in accordance with what that is, that idea of you're arguing to win on behalf of your client. It doesn't matter what you feel about it. Right. And you have mm-hmm. to argue it in that way. And it, I just think any person could benefit from that because especially with these really super black and white issues where I think it's funny because when they're so complicated like this, there's no such thing as black and white. Like the whole thing exists in the gray. The entire argument for anything that's super complex is all gray all the time. There's no black, there's no white. And yet our media and our society wants to pretend like there are, we have these two extreme sides, but with something so complicated, you can never. Mm-hmm. You can never have that kind of extremism. Everything is individualized. Everything, there are variations of every possible story. And for that, you have to be somewhere in the middle. And and in order to be in the middle, you have to see both sides. Because if you're on one extreme side, you can't see the other side. And it's so important to be able to step out of yourself and to be objective and to get the big picture and be the bird's eye view so that you can kind of really open your perspective. Like you're saying, if somebody brings something to you, want to argue me? I, I mean, I'm the same. I'm, I like to debate too. Um, I, you want to argue me? Like I, I challenge you to do that. I would yeah. love for you to bring me something that will change my mind. It doesn't happen often. Yeah. Like, cause it takes me usually a while to get to my perspective yeah. in the first place. Yeah. I've done my work before I get there. Well, that's my, hmm. my, I, you know, I think I've, my, I have a lot of great friends, you know, growing up, but some of my oldest friends, I remember one in particular said, you know, you tell, you always have to be right. You always have to win every argument. I said, no, I don't have to win every argument. I just tend to win every argument. There's a difference. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's nothing about having to. It's just that. It's just what happens. If you're going to lock up with me and try and take things, you know, to the level, odds are. I've thought these chess moves further down the road in most of the arguments I'm in than you have. I've just found that through life. Right. And and by the way, I'm not going to argue with you on something I haven't thought through. Like I don't just engage in sure. anything. I choose my battles, and if I'm in, and it's because I really think I've got a pretty clear Absolutely. view on what's happening. But I'll be the first to admit it. 
you took that one step further. You right. had one more question I couldn't answer or pose, and I've changed positions. But how rare I mean, is I that? I was a progressive yeah. liberal prior to this. I mean, I was rabidly like yeah. Republicans are crazy. Yeah, totally. Now I watched the <laughs> assembly floor yesterday and the Senate floor today and just thought, what happened that I'm only agreeing with Republicans I know. and I know. the Democrats <laughs> look like th- they've yeah. lost their minds. So yeah. here I am. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm an example of the fact that I'm not afraid to change and I'm not afraid to be wrong. Um, but just bring it. If you're going to bring, bring it, yes. Bring uh, that's it. And, exactly and how, I feel. how are you? Why is Pan not excited to sit down with me or Bob? And let's have this out on a couple of microphones. You bring your facts, I'll bring mine, and let's see who gets to the end of this road further. Who has more to deliver? What is it? And mm-hmm. we're talking not just Senator Pan, literally the entire medical right, establishment will not have this debate. So right. that's. Uh, and, and as I said, you know, in what sport or in what world does forfeiting give you the win? And that's where we're at. I believe the medical institutions have forfeited this argument, their argument, the debate. Therefore, we've already won the scientific debate. I really do believe that. And now we're dealing with the re- repercussions of a cornered mm. Shrew yes, in yeah. a way that is just attacking yeah. now our, you know, our humanity, our morals, right. our legal structures, our government right. uh, with no facts and no ability to actually defend themselves. And so their days are numbered, but it's going to be scary. Yeah. You have really incensed, angry yeah. um it's a bully. It's a bully yeah. that can't communicate. But I that's think that's because with. the medical establishment speaks in bullet points. Yes. They speak in talking points. And when you speak in talking points, you cannot have somebody respond to you because your talking points are set up ahead of time and they're not designed for an interactive back and forth. And so what happens is they put themselves on platforms where they are just allowed to release those talking points without somebody coming back to them. And then that allows them to control the narrative and there doesn't really need to be the discussion or the discourse. And this is why you see those same people not wanting to engage in a back and forth because I honestly don't think that they would know how to answer so many things Mm -hmm. because they have literally like a one pager and this is it. Everything comes back to this. I mean, kind of like politicians that run for president's uh, presidency and you have an issue that's uncomfortable and they'll just like turn it back like way over here. It's like deflection. And these are all, these are all PR tricks that people use and it's because they don't have enough content to be able to have that back and forth means that whatever you say, I have such an ingrained belief system that is so foundationally solid that I can come back to you with you know, defending what I'm saying. This is, and we on the opposition of this issue have had to be, we've had to think outside the box. So we've had to do a lot more work and research and we are a lot more prepared to have those types of arguments because we've had to do the work. When you memorize bullet points or talking points, you don't have right. to do the research. You don't right. have to do the work. You're just memorizing what's there. Yeah. Yeah. But we, we've seen the politicians, you're right. They just deflect all the most important questions we yeah. throw at them. And, and during the, uh, during the assembly hearings, yeah, we kind of pretty much straight up uh, challenged Senator Pan saying, if you have a child who has a seizure after vaccination, this bill will not excuse them from the rest of their doses of that vaccine. Senator Pan, what do you have to say about that? Well, no, everyone who, you know, who, everyone who deserves an exemption will get one. 
That's his answer yeah. to the this question. This bill is yeah. to protect it, children and the integrity right. of medical I mean, examiners. It, it's almost yeah. like it's physically impossible for him to say, you are right. If your <laughs> child has a seizure after a vaccine, they you will not, not be allowed in school again unless you get the five remaining doses of the vaccine. Right. You are right. That's what yeah. my bill is. He, it's like he's physically incapable. It's like his brain can't even go there because if he did go there, everyone would be like, what? You know, you're right. admitting that? So he has to deflect it. There's no other choice yeah. when you're in that position. Um, well, uh, I was going to say, speaking okay. of back to the vaccine, speaking of that, I'm curious to know when – when vaccines or the vaccine program or what what's going on with all this first came on your radar, like your what? Yeah, no, oh, no. Go oh. ahead. <laughs> I, well, I, I was curious, like, what would do you remember? Like the exact moment, like what exactly happened? Where were you when? Not what only were made, you wearing? I mean, not <laughs> not only when it maybe came on your radar, uh, but like when did it actually occur to you finally? Like, oh my gosh, there's a problem. Or this is not with what with I thought, this or... whole system. Yeah, I'm just. Like, well, what was that moment? So I've had to sort of shift some of how I answer that because coming out with Vaxxed, I let the narrative of, you know, the doctor's producer run its course however anybody wanted it to run. But the truth is is that I wasn't vaccinated myself as a child. Mm-hmm. And so the first time I remember the discussion was sitting with my mom in, in some new school office with the principal – um, and them saying, you know, he has to be vaccinated in order to come to this school. And my mom saying, but if vaccines work and you believe in vaccines and everyone in your school is vaccinated, what danger is my child to the other students hmm. in this school? And well, I remember you're a child. And I was probably I want to say I was probably. In the 10 years old zone. And this was Boulder, Colorado? Um, I think it was Boulder. I think it was Boulder where that would have been uh, the discussion. And I remember sort of the awkwardness of it, but I remember the the principal being really uncomfortable thinking about it. I was like, okay, well, that's a good point. And then just going to school and then just kind of hoping that that issue never came up again because it – was just I was raised by you know parents who did things different than other people. I was going to say know? where did where did your mom come to that understanding to where she was already in a position to kind of yeah I've, I've asked her that several times and um, there I think first of all my mother's father was uh, a Mohawk Indian off of the reservation in upstate New York and so and he married a Russian immigrant. Um, and they were very poor. And so my, as the story goes, in order to sort of get cheap health care, my mother and her two sisters were sort of guinea pigs for the local pediatrician that would try new drugs and new injections and things on mm-hmm. them as things that were coming through. At least that was her perspective of it. And she just remembers being sick every time she was injected with things, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then she tells a story about, but still, you know, when she had me, they were very health conscious. I think my parents were like, they were hippies or macrobiotic at the time. And, you know, so they, they were very health conscious, but she was still going to vaccinate me 
And she said she went to the doctor's office to do it. And the person right before me was in with the nurse. And the nurse was just screaming at this mother, like, why did you wait so long? This child shouldn't have waited so long to get the vaccines. What's wrong with you? You put him in danger. And my mom just said, I just looked at this, saw this energy and said, that is not... How I don't want that energy around my child. Mm-hmm. And she said, I just walked out and never went back. And then none of us ended up being vaccinated. And so what's interesting yeah. is, you know, when you're raised like that, like it's not really – I wouldn't say my mom – she didn't do scientific research. She didn't, right. you know – she just believed very strongly that our bodies are designed to heal themselves. Right. I, mean, I think that, that that was, we were raised with natural, I, I never went to a doctor. I'd go to a chiropractor on occasion if I like wrecked on my skis and felt like I couldn't bend over, then, you know, it'd be a chiropractor. Or if we were really out of sorts, she might take me to a homeopath or a naturopath. I don't know where that all came from. But for the most part, we didn't go to anything. There was no thermometer in our house. There was no aspirin. You know, I remember once, you know, playing soccer in junior high and I really like I sort of jumped to the air and landed on the ball and thought I broke my something, my ankle, couldn't walk, my leg was swelled up and I had a pair of crutches that someone I don't know, someone had them. They're like, "Here, use these crutches." Yeah, yeah. And I remember like hobbling up to my house, I mean, just to get a sense. My mom's pretty radical and, you know, I'm like trying to open the door and she opens the door. She's like, "What's going on?" I was like, "Oh, I really I think I might have broke my ankle or something." And my mom took the crutches out of my hands and threw them in the front yard and says, walk it off, get in here and walk it off. And that was how I was raised. I'm not sure. I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying that's how you should raise your kids. That's how I was raised. So, so there's that. I always had that, but then, you know, I end up having this wild set of circumstances where I'm trying to make movies and end up shooting a camera for the Dr. Phil show. And next thing I know, I'm a field producer. And then they're creating this show called The Doctors, which they asked me to help sort of on the creative side. And so we create this show called The Doctors. And so now I'm reading medical journals and I'm doing, I'm having to produce shows about medicine and science. And my mom would call me and say, what are you doing working on a medical talk show? You've never been to a doctor in your life. (laughs) And I said, it's really kind of awesome. You know, I have a different perspective. And I was doing shows that always sort of surgeons that were using less invasive techniques, like trying to bring, you know, more of uh, an alternate perspective or, or functional medicine. And I would say that, honestly, I was becoming more functionally medicine oriented. I started having aspirin in my house. I would take a Tylenol here and oh. there. You know, I remember I, you know, I think I even got antibiotics once when I had my teeth done. That was the first time I did that. And so I was sort of moving in this direction of there's good on both sides mm. of this. Um, and then the vaccine issue hit. It hit with I'm trying to Thompson's story yeah. I find fascinating. Still never discussed any of these issues with the people that I work with, but it was this moment where I can't do the Thompson story. I'm sitting in my office and I had a show that was missing like one segment. It was seven segments in a show and I sort of had a guest fall out or something changed. I said, we're going to air your show in three days. We're taping a segment right now over the stage that you need to come and watch it so you can quickly edit it and put it into your own show. So I run over to the stage 
and it was Senator Richard Pan coming on to the doctors to sell this idea of SB 277. Wow. And, and so you talk about sort of fate in one of those weird oh, moments. Yeah. And so I'm watching this guy mm. talk about the danger of unvaccinated people and hmm. laws that were going to take away your right to essentially raise your kids the way I was raised. So it was in a direct affront yeah. to how I was raised and what I was listening to and thinking – this guy is like a Nazi looking at me like I'm Jewish. You know what I mean? Like, it wow. felt like mm. that. It yeah. felt like this guy's after my way of life. I've never bothered anyone with it. I don't do shows about it. And it's really not – it's just a part of you know who I am. But And he wants other people to feel the same way about you. Right. Feel the same right. way about me. Make them hate mm-hmm. me. Make them have an attitude yeah, but, about but you that, know, that's that. That's a huge statement though. The, the way he made you feel – Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, to to him and to the medical establishment, they're just talking medical facts. To them, it's a medical fact that unvaccinated people are dangerous yeah. and de- and deserve fewer rights. But it's fascinating to hear just from your perspective, it, like he was, you're there in the audience. You felt, you felt like you said, you felt like a Jew being, you know, yeah. spoken to by a Nazi. I mean, that's yeah. a that's a huge statement. I mean, that to. To think of what that must have felt like to you, I mean, that's, you know, we were talking about how we like to try to admit, let this, all this bounce off of us, yeah. but I don't know, that's that's very uh, it was, telling to me. It's why I'm here. I, I would have let Thompson go. I would have let the whistleblower, I mean, I wanted that story. It was, it was as a reporter, as a journalist, I found it fascinating. But this guy was coming after a way of life that even whether I was, you know, whether I was going to fully raise my kids that way. At that point, I wasn't vaccinating my son. My daughter wasn't here yet because that's how I was raised. Mm -hmm. It made sense to me. My wife seemed to think that made sense, too. So that that's when I just and I remember sitting there. Well, there's like seven TV screens of all the different camera angles. angles. And I was thinking, there's no way my name is going to go on a show where this guy is is going to destroy my rights as a citizen in this mm-hmm. country. Mm. And that may out me. I may have to explain to my executive producers, maybe I get fired today. I don't know, but this isn't going in my show. And the whole time he was talking, sitting behind me, who wasn't on set at the moment, was Dr. Rachel Ross. And she, on her own, I heard her just saying, oh, my God, that's a lie. Oh, he's lying. That's not true. So, so did so, this not air? Huh? Did this segment oh, it, not air? Oh, oh it did air. Oh, it went in somebody else's show. show. It went in wow. someone else's show. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah, I just said, I said, that guy went on for like 10 minutes. I walked in the office. That guy went on for like 10 minutes. I have like two minutes. That, you know, obviously, you're going to want to run that longer. This can't go on my show. And they said, yeah, that's a good point. And I just avoided it. But I remember Rachel, you know, a doctor was saying, he's lying. Those aren't those stats aren't accurate. she couldn't challenge that on the show. No. And so, and so we, Rachel and I, you know, she was sort of my go-to when we were really going to when we did a show about Monsanto and glyphosate, I could trust that she had a similar sense that these toxic chemicals and stuff were hurting us. So she right. would take up the challenge. So I wasn't fully surprised, but I didn't realize vaccines was something that she was, you know, that she thought this is crazy. And so it's part of what led to me trying to get Jim onto into vaxxed and, um, and I never really talked about that either. And Rachel Ross, but it was Andy who just said, you know what I would really love? I would really love for a real pediatrician to have to look at these documents that that have been provided mm-hmm. by Thompson and just run the camera and see what they think. 
You know, instead of like we're trying to get all these people to already think this, I want to see someone that's never right. thought about this. Interesting. And that, yeah. I thought of Jim. And yeah. that, that was what really hit me. I thought, I wonder if Jim would do that. And so all of those things are, you know, and so what's fascinating is this journey has been great for me because I was just a guy that was raised the way I was raised. And really holistically. Holistically. I wasn't was no big deal. I knew I was kind of different than other kids. We didn't really talk about it. I knew there was some attitudes about vaccines, but who cares, you know? And I think we were all gonna quietly sort of just go on our way. And and in the end Pan and SB277, and one of the things I find now is people talk about this movement as though I'm creating the movement or Bob mm -hmm. Sears is creating the movement. I say, no, your oppressive laws are creating a movement. You are creating a monster. You're not going to be able to stop because we were just a quiet Yeah, because you're going too far. Right. We were 3 to 5% of a, a, a society at best. Yeah. We weren't even touching your mythological idea of herd immunity. Yeah. Right. And then you decided to come after us, right. a minority group that simply didn't live the way you lived. And now we're having to explain to the world because you've torn our clothes off and you're standing us in Times Square and you're asking us, how could we be so crazy? And we're explaining why we don't vaccinate. And now hundreds of thousands of people a week are joining us because what we're saying makes sense. And you mm -hmm. did that. You gave us mm -hmm. the spotlight. You forced us into the position to explain who we are and, and how healthy our kids are and what's going on here. Or discuss the injuries for our kids. Or and the like injuries that, yeah. that for those that have yeah. been injured, the X-Faxers, you know, all these different groups. For me, it's been awesome, though, because I, because I worked on the doctors and I was reading medical journals, I finally had to do the dive. And working with Andy, of course, who's such a, uh, a brilliant mind when it comes to infectious disease, I mean, people don't really understand him. I, mean, the guy, I always yeah. say, he sitting with him for a year, the guy would describe measles like he was describing a centerfold, you know, a, a model, like he was passionate and almost in love with this disease and how, what it could do in the body and what how the body reacts and what cells it kills and how it proliferates and his passion about it like you don't talk about it was really really fascinating and it's sort of well she, it, she's really, laughing because i don't know if you've ever heard of our any any of our episodes but we have disease episodes oh yeah right? yeah and i'll you know she takes a nap over there in the corner while i sit here and explain like an infectious disease but yeah we need we need andy on yeah, here to, to mean, explain these diseases I'm i think like, i'd be paying a lot more attention if somebody <laughs> described me yeah. that way <laughs> What you're saying is Andy knows intimately, and he knows every detail about these and issues. And he cares about yeah. it. Scientifically. Yeah. And, and he's passionate, able to, to explain I mean, he, that. He spent a career. He's not, he's not like your pediatrician. He really, his career was staring through right. a microscope. I mm -hmm. mean, studying right. disease. Right, a different perspective. You know, how yeah. it's, I mean, most, a lot of his work, I mean, what got him into this was showing that having measles virus could lead to Crohn's disease. I mean, that's that's what gets him in the middle of right. this. Right, and, and you know? the people worked on that even before Andy yeah. in, in England. There's yeah. there's such published data even that preceded Yeah, him. he wasn't. He yeah. just first said, I wasn't the first, yeah. but I was fascinated by this. Mm -hmm. But it's neat to talk to my mom now because, and she just called me today. Like, I, I saw your last talk, so I can't, she's like, it's amazing what you're doing, and now I actually have the scientific background to understand 
what she sort of instinctively right. made the decision yeah. from mm-hmm. her intuitively. Now all the science proves she was right. I mean, yeah. I, I I literally mean all the science. I, yeah. I, I yeah, want to yeah, make that yeah. perfectly oh, yeah. clear yeah. because I've looked at it all. Like I, I, going back to debating, I challenge everyone that works with me, and if they'll sometimes they'll say we could say this. I was like, no. If I I play devil's advocate all the time, yeah. I always look at the other side. What's the argument against it? And the whole time I made vax, I called every doctor I knew. I called everyone I knew and said. Explain to me I'm wrong. Please prove to me I'm wrong. I want off of this. I, I don't yeah. want to be in the middle of this. Give me, show me how I'm missing It would I'm feel better, something. wouldn't it? It would be so much right. easier if you could right. just... Right, just give me a clear yeah. road off of this, something I can sink my yeah. teeth into that says, you're wrong, Dell. This is the wrong perspective. Yeah. And no one could do it. No one, not a doctor, not a scientist, yeah. could give me arguments that beat my own statements that had thought it further down the road than what I was reading. And so here yeah. we are. Now I'm scientifically empowered to understand something that I think mothers probably, most mothers, Hmm. really deep down intuitively know. Well, and segueing just slightly kind of from that into what you're talking about with the film and the media in general, um, I want to talk a little bit about censorship and your views on this. And so first, do you believe the media is censored? Yes, and why? I mean, what what else do you need other than you know <laughs> yeah. Adam Schiff writing a letter to Instagram and Facebook and saying you need to shut down voices that are questioning vaccines? Okay, and then writing that, a letter though, to Amazon. What about before Adam Schiff? Before this whole recent thing, you obviously worked on a show oh, a couple years ago. Yeah. Are there such, th- I mean, are there instances where stories come to light and somebody goes, no, we're not going to do it and it, because it's controversial? And are there people on the show talking about the fact that we're not doing it? Like, is anybody asking questions about how come we're not doing that, this? That's Why are we bringing? Question. That's a good question. Because, you know, with the doctors, and I try to really understand myself what it is you know when you work on a show like The Doctors. I had a pretty good sense that when I was going to go pitch Dr. William Thompson, the doctor's show was going to tell me exactly what they'd said. They mm-hmm. laughed and said, get the F out of here. Now, that was a rare response from them because I did a lot of intense stories and challenge systems, and I was one of the top-rated producers, so I had a really easy ride on that show. They let me mostly do what I wanted, but I knew that that crossed a line with what was going on there. You know, it's not like you're sat down and told, you're going to cover this, you can't cover things like this. You just get a real sense in enough meetings, watching Mm -hmm. other producers get reamed for attempting to do some story, or, you know, you just start getting a sense of your parameters uh, of the show that you work on. Um, So there is censorship. There's censorship to the truth. I also watched how he had to edit things. There's Mm -hmm. certain things that would come out. If you're doing a show about Monsanto, there are certain things that are going to have to be tweaked that were said. There's, you know, so you get used to that. But I didn't really fully understand when... I couldn't do Thompson's story. I was sure that Fox and CNN would do some version of it. Mm-hmm. I thought they might censor it. I mean, I thought they yeah. might really just say, this crazy lunatic, we should really mm-hmm. look at the type of scientists who are being hired by the CDC. I figured they would do a protective 
story around it, but it would still sell newspapers. And they or just didn't do anything. Did they, they did nothing. Buried it. Yeah. And I mean, and, and, yeah, that. And, and just so people know, Doc, not, I don't think everyone knows, Dr. William Thompson is the CDC scientist who came forward as a whistleblower saying that he and three of his colleagues literally burned data, burned right. stacks of data when they studied MMR vaccine and autism. Right. They burned data so that the uh, research they could publish uh, failed to show a link between between yeah. the MMR vaccine and autism. William Thompson was one of those doctors, and he came forward as a whistleblower saying, yeah. we screwed up, we burned data, we published something that was that was not correct, and now we've lost 10 years of, of research on yeah. this issue. He came forward, and, and you're right, no one has, has touched the story. No. I yeah. mean, and that's... So, so and, you presented this in the doctors, and they said, right. and, said and I, no, and I have or they did say, a version of it. Or, oh no, doctors wouldn't cover it. Like, and, and who you, makes you that decision? Like, well, like you, who, you, have, you walk in a room. You have, you know, I was a producer. You yeah. have one or two supervising producers, okay. and then you have in that at that time. A lot of times you'll have one executive producer. In that time, we had two executive producers, and then there's an even senior executive producer that oversees sort of all of the McGraw family, um, right? television series. This doctor was created by Jay McGraw. Um, and by the way, I just want to say, I respect all the people I worked with. Like I, mm-hmm. I really, in you know, I really enjoyed my time working on that show. They're all good people. They mean well. Um, this just happens to be a topic like when you watch yeah. politicians that they just really have been hoodwinked and right. brainwashed. Yeah. Uh, even Travis Stork, who's sort of the, the lead authority and doctor on the show, we did a lot of really challenging stories. He let me challenge Monsanto and Industries and and was supportive, which you needed in order to get something done. But on vaccines, it just – he could not – he just dug his heels in. He yeah. just couldn't wrap his head around it. Couldn't go there. And so um, that's it. But I will say that more and more I am extremely dismayed by the state of what we call journalism in America. Mm-hmm. I think it's the greatest problem this country faces right now. There's We could solve anything uh, and I think we could find common ground if we had real journalism going on, mm-hmm. on any issue. Yeah. Um, we are in a propaganda state. Yeah. We are not yes. getting news. And and I can only say that because I am a news story now. As I'm trying to report <laughs> news, I've become a mm-hmm. news story for trying to just simply post and show published science yeah. You know, peer-reviewed science is nothing I've ever said that is the opinion of a massage therapist or a chiropractor (laughs) or a, a, you know, tarot card reader. Every single thing I state on my show has either been published by Health and Human Services themselves, the CDC themselves, the FDA themselves, or some – right. I mean, we – that's – you don't have to look farther than published data. So – to see, you know, to watch Rachel Maddow, who I used to be a fan of, I mean, as a progressive liberal, I thought she was brilliant. I really remember thinking I can repeat anything she says and know that it's going to be grounded in fact so that if someone challenges me, I can say, yes, it's true. And a couple of times I would go and look at some political fact and say, yeah, she was right, good. And I watched her speak about vaccines right in the middle of 
277 and these dangerous anti-vaxxers and the science is settled and vaccines are safe and blah, 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 with no look into Thompson, no mention of Thompson, and just thought, oh, my God, A2, Rachel, you know, and... Every journalist has died by that sort on this one issue. And then because I'm deep into this and I have friends, I have friends that were in Syria reporting on the ground and telling me that is not the story. You're not getting right. what's actually happening in Syria. Yeah, it's not yeah. just vaccines. You know, it's like, not it's just vaccines. And so when you know my liberal friends and family get crazy when Trump is calling reporters fake news and they're fake news – I'm not saying I'm a fan of Trump. I think he's a very interesting character and whether or not people like that should be president of the United States is not the point. What I can tell you is when he is saying fake news, these reporters are putting out fake yeah. news. And I do believe it's dangerous to have you know, to not have free press. And for those people that think that Trump is ruining free press, no, he's po- just simply pointing out you've already lost your free press. Mm. And, and for yeah. people – that think that, oh, my God, I'm glad I don't live in Russia or China yeah. <laughs> where, you know, their press lies to them. I said, you'd be far better off living there under these those circumstances because at least those people know their news is lying to them. Our problem in this country yeah. is we it. actually mm-hmm. believe yeah. this propaganda, baloney, headline news with no real depth or understanding of the topics, and that is why we scream at each other. It's why mm-hmm. we think we're in separate parties. It's why families are being divided right. over abortion. Families are being yep. divided over wars in the Middle East. Families are being divided over this vaccine issue yeah. when the solutions are really on much more of a common ground exactly. in most cases, yeah. but our news won't allow that to happen. Yeah, and I think it's, it's ironic that the same people, the same entities own – both the media and the government. That's right. Yeah. And that is the greatest irony. And I think a lot of... And danger, the yeah, greatest danger. Yeah, I think a lot of people kind of know that in the back of their minds, but they don't care about it. They don't do anything about it. They just don't understand that big business, which includes pharma, and it's it's big everything, whatever is big out there, mm-hmm. they own the media and they own the government. And and they, you know, it's that's not a conspiracy theorist, you know, no. thing. That, that is a, a fact. fact. And, and that's... That's kind of our greatest obstacle um, yeah. that that I don't know even how we can overcome. No, I think about that was it network. You know, I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. And everyone's throwing their TVs out the window. It really is prophetic. Uh, yeah. If people, you know, if we could actually get everybody to throw their TV out the window, I think it could solve the problems in this yeah. nation probably within a year or two. Yeah, I like I like what, what you put there. Do, do you do you actually know of any reporters that have admitted they're being censored or they've told you about it? They say, you know, I Well, I mean, I think that Cheryl Atkinson is is one of the right. best examples you have of somebody that was a CBS news reporter. She's actually proven that the FBI was tapping her phones because she started speaking the truth. I mean, that's a pretty clear example. Yeah. And she's risking, you know, certainly her career, if not her life, you know, speaking out on, on those matters. So, yeah, I think that that's a good example. Yes, I talk to people on the inside. I've spoken to CNN reporters you would fully recognize and reporters that will say to me, look, I think your perspective is really compelling uh, we just can't, like, I can't they, go near this. Do they right care? Now. Do they say uh, why? They I'm curious of like the, the back office talk, you know, between the people that work at these networks, like are people going, 
they shot down the story. They said, we can't cover it. Like, does it make you wonder why we can't? Is there some, is there something there they don't want out? I mean, I'm, I mean, in a hush hush way, are, are people, you know, colleagues saying to each other, like, the story seemed really amazing, or this is newsworthy, or this is important to cover and they're shutting it down. Like, this doesn't seem like why I got into this. I mean, yeah. you know, I, I feel like those conversations have to be happening because happening. you can only be nice and quiet and smile for your superiors. And, but at some right. point you're going to go back and talk to your peers and say, this isn't journalism. Like you're saying, this is not, it doesn't matter if you agree with it. That's not the point. Right. The point is you're supposed to be showing both sides. Right. And that's exactly what's not happening mm-hmm. at all. All like at all, like not even some of the time, but like at (laughs) all, it is always one sided. And if you're going to if you're going to only show one side, how about challenge that side? Like, Mm -hmm. show me what study you're talking about. You're saying thousands of studies. Show me one. Like as a reporter, Rachel Maddow should be saying, show me what study you're talking about. Show me the studies that prove that, you know, vaccines, all 16 of them don't cause autism. You know, show me how that's been debunked. Because these are slogans. They're not, right. they're not provable right. by science. And journalists are tasked with challenging that. And we're not. Right. And frankly, you know, as much as I think that these corporations like Merck and Pfizer that knowingly kill tens of thousands of people with products like Vioxx or Johnson & Johnson with both the opioid epidemic now just paid out over a half a billion dollars last week or $3 billion for talc powder, which had asbestos in it, and they knew it. Though I mean, these companies are sick, demented, ravaging society. And yet, first of all, how are they even allowed to work in this country? I, I remember when Biox, when they proved that Biox, they knew it was causing heart attacks. I thought, how is Merck allowed to sell a single product in America right. ever again? How are they still in business? How are they still in well, business? Because they they own the government. Right. I mean that that's you know, what's shocking. Right. They yeah. should not be in business. Exactly. You killed more people than the Vietnam War did with a mm. drug, and mm. you knew it, and yet we allowed that to happen. So, you know. I believe not only, you know, and when, when I think about Citizens United, I think politically, when we think that corporations are people, good, try those CEOs for murder. I want to see them up for murder. When you kill people and you have an email with your name on it saying, you know, your right. product causes heart attacks, I want you in jail. I want you on death row. That's where you should be. And frankly, if you're a reporter that isn't challenging this and you are just pushing along the agenda, then you should be on death row too. Because you're complicit. <laughs> Because you are complicit. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's and, where And I'm that's at. the whole job of, of journalism is to right. hold government accountable and to hold big business accountable. That's right. It's just such a great irony that they just they can't do that anymore. Well, considering yeah. this hostile environment and how crazy this is to be a part of this, have you ever thought of stepping out? Have you ever had that discussion of like, this is just like, I just need out of this, or this is more than I bargained for, or I, I just don't want to be in this fight anymore as it is? Um, I would say for your average person, what they think that that question would be, no, I, I haven't. Do I... Do I run through questions, how much danger am I putting my kids in? How much danger am I putting my family in? Do I have moments where I actually have real fear or concern? Um, Yeah. I have moments where 
I get overwhelmed by what it seems like I'm involved in. Um, but And I ask myself, what would it take? Is there something out there that would make me step away? Because you hear so many stories. You know, I, I think about hearing like Ross Perot was like they threatened his family or something, and that's why he stepped out. And you ask yourself, does that really happen? Mm. Like, does, do, you know, and when someone changes their mind or they suddenly just drop off the map, we always hear they must have been threatened or something was said. And so I've run through being, you know, stories like, what would that be for me? You know, would threatening my family or, you know, um, and God forbid, I mean, not to sort of countenance that or bring that in, but I have, I run through thoughts like that because here's what I know. I know we're having an effect. I know we're right. And I know we're delivering the truth. And I know the truth is going to cost not only industries billions of dollars, it's extremely dangerous for a government that I really care about. I mean, this is the quandary mm -hmm. I find myself in right now, is that I love this country. I, I believe in the dream of our founding fathers. I don't want to see the destruction of our government, yet I watch our government officials essentially walking down a dead-end road into an alley where they are going to be massacred by the truth. And I don't know how to fix that, you know? And I, and I can see the languaging around what they see me as is they're going to try and say we're terrorists. They're going to try and say we're putting Americans at risk. I mean, you already see it, Pan getting pushed by one really misguided individual that none of us have aligned with who's tried to be on my show has wanted to talk to me. I don't talk to the man because there's something not right with him. So right. that's always been the case. But you can see how they're trying to craft languaging around that. And, you know, I don't think they're going to be successful because we have the truth and more and more science is coming. And I'm trying to figure out, like, where where do, where's the jump off point for this government? How and this is what really you know when I look in and people ask me about what did you learn from Baxter, what was that experience? We genuinely were trying to get William Thompson subpoenaed. We were genuinely hoping the film would lead to by to congressional hearings that needed to happen. And I had three or four really pretty good in-depth meetings with Jason Chaffetz, who was the head of the Oversight Committee on Government Reform. I and mean, that was the committee in our Congress that could really challenge a government agency like the CDC. And there was something about – he was candid and you know I won't talk about all the things we said, but I think he genuinely was moved by Vaxxed. He asked a lot of questions, really good questions. Uh, he hated SB 277. There was like a terror in him that something like that would ever happen in Utah where he's from. I have a sense that I'll bet you his grandchildren, I would think he probably vaccinated his kids, but he was really asking appropriate questions when it came to why so many and what's really going on. But it really started to become clear to me as I – because – and people say you're stupid. Why do you trust Jason Chaffetz? I mean I get it from all sides. And I'm not saying I trusted him. I'm just saying he's a human being and I think that for the most part – And you had an honest dialogue. We had an honest dialogue. Yeah. I think he was trying to do what was right. And I really walked away at one point just thought, what would I do if I was Jason Chaffetz? Again, playing the other side, right? What would I do if – I 
probably was class president. I, you know, I believe in a political system. I believe in the U.S. government. I ran for an office. I thought that this is the way you make the world a better place. I mean, that's why you're doing those things. Right. You're not getting paid some gigantic amount of money. I mean, like whatever. People in politics are doing it because they care about something. And I thought somebody comes to me and says, you have a government agency where they have committed fraud on a scientific study that – could potentially be injuring, permanently injuring 5,000 cases that were in court, tens of thousands of cases that probably existed that didn't know there was a court, and hundreds of thousands of cases, perhaps millions in a wave coming your way and around the world. And thinking each one of those cases could cost millions of dollars if it paid out, that right there, autism technically could bankrupt the government of the United States, period. Like, forget gross national product. We're talking trillions of dollars if anyone ever admitted vaccines cause autism. Okay? Mm-hmm. So you see the re- you, you see what's happening there. But I thought Jason Chaffetz seemed to me that, like the type of person, might think about if I bring this hearing and I bring these scientists, including Julie Gerberding, who's the head of the CDC at the right. time, sending emails that are sort of really forcing everybody into the positions that Thompson's describing, where we're having the line, we're manipulating data, and we're destroying documents. You know, if I bring these scientists in in front of the American public, as I'm being asked to do, which would be the right thing to right. do, he had to ask, and I just thought, I would have to ask myself if I'm Jason Chaffetz. Am I willing to blow up a government agency like the CDC? Because if this proves to be true, I don't know that it is. Right. But if it proves to be true and the American people see it, CDC's done. I'm going to wipe it right off the face of the planet. No one will trust that agency ever again. And I actually thought, yeah, I'd probably do that. And you know what? I think Jason Chaffetz might too. I mean, he's a Republican. He's into downsizing government. That'd be a really good way to start, right? <laughs> Let's just take the CDC out. Too many agencies. Right, right. <laughs> but, then, yeah. but then comes the next question. And it's really, I thought, it's sort of like what you must have been, what we must have been questioning when we were going to blow up the first atom bomb. The question had to be, do the atoms stop splitting? Like at what point is mm-hmm. it possible that we just do away with all life on Earth simply in the middle of a test? And that was the question I felt was on the table when I really thought about would I bring William Thompson and these scientists is where do the atoms stop splitting if I blow up this bomb? Does it stop at CDC? Probably not. Does it go and does it wipe out health and human services? Like, the, you know, does it wipe out the FDA? Do we lose all confidence in the health departments of the U.S. government? Like really, what's the domino effect? Yeah, what's the domino effect? Yeah. Really good chance it could do that. And then the biggest question of all is does it destroy confidence in the U.S. government, period? A government that signed right. on to this, a government took all the liability, a government that you know hid the truth from the people and is now responsible for destroying potentially millions of lives around the world. What do other countries think of our government? What do our own people think of our government? What happens to our perspective of every doctor that told us that vaccines don't cause autism? That right. our confidence in is, everything is so destructive. Mm-hmm. that 
I question if I would go through with calling all those people in front of you know, and and I and I, I know people that I'm someone's going to sit here and I'm sure they're going to write in Dell's a shill approves it. You know, of course I would do that. <laughs> you know, anyone would that really cares. Yeah. I'm yeah. I'm not that person. Like I'm I'm being honest with you about where my humanity is at and and the things that I think about. I don't. I mean, obviously I'm here. I'm talking about, it, and that is the potential. I mean, that's what we're up against. And frankly. I want to say to every politician and government official that's not doing your reading, that is not just look at what Bob Sears is showing you. Just look at the data. Look at the science. Stop looking at bumper sticker slogans from Richard Pan who can't answer a follow-up question. Stop listening to slogans. Look at the science and ask yourself the third grade question. Why have we (laughs) never compared vaccinated children to unvaccinated children? Fully unvaccinated children. Why has that study never been done? Why are they continuing to refuse to do it when it could disarm this argument tomorrow? Literally, that study could be done by the CDC on a database of over 10 million people. They could be done with that study a week from right now. If they just said, let's end this once and for all, let's compare all the vaccinated kids in our VSD vaccine safety data link to the unvaccinated kids and just ask simple questions. Who has more cancer? Who has more diabetes? Who has more asthma? Who has more childhood leukemia? Who has more, you know, uh, uh, autism or Tourette's? I mean, the list goes on and on. All of these things, which are skyrocketing, Mm -hmm. it would be so simple. We've got a civil war going on here. Families are being divided by this. Just science could answer this and you're avoiding the science. Why? I'll tell you why, because every time that science is being done around the world, it's showing us that the vaccinated are so much uh, less healthy than the unvaccinated. And I want to say to the government officials, to get back to my point, Put the liability back on the industry. I don't know about mm-hmm. the retroactiveness. I don't know how we make this right. Yeah. But let Merck go down. Let GlaxoSmithKline go down. Or, or let, or, or let know, them defend their products. Let them, right. let let them, them defend make it. their products But better. I'm let telling them. you, they're toast. Everyone's right. toast around. This is not – this yeah. isn't going to be pretty. This can't end well because they never did the appropriate science and now it's playing out – The vaccine program doesn't work. It injures more people than it ever dreamed of saving. It's just, it's just every way I look at it. I hate reporting that. I don't want to be. I, I feel bad for the doctors that have been hoodwinked by this. This program didn't work. It was a mistake. And the medical establishment's and, on damage control right. 24-7. 24-7. They're mm-hmm. lying to you through your press, but there's only so long this facade's right. going to last. There's only yeah. this SB 276. This is going to be one of the last laws that ever get passed like this. Gavin Newsom, I want to say to Gavin, dude. Don't put your name on that. You are going to go. I actually like the guy. I've met him. I worked with him on the doctors. He's a clear thinking guy. Don't put your name on this. You will be what's remembered. You will go down in history with one of the greatest colossal mistakes that ever happened to humanity. And one of the greatest lies. This is going to make the Salem witch trials look like they made sense. This doesn't make any sense. We're going to look back historically and say, how did so many people buy into something that was hurting so many people with so little evidence? And so little regard for the injury. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's my greatest hope that this new law, SB 276, it's, it's crossing a line so far. It's just going over the edge so far to literally... 
mandate that children who have already been injured right. by vaccines have to keep vaccinating in order to stay in school. And the companies that make those vaccines are completely free of liability. And the government that is mandating these vaccines are completely free of liability. That that concept is going to, hopefully, the American public will see that that it just goes beyond any sort, any sense of reason. Nobody with a brain could possibly think that that's a good idea. Yeah. No, no American, no, nobody anywhere in the world. And will people actually see that? And I'm kind of saddened because I think possibly a lot of people won't see that. They'll just move right on, move right past this. Uh, they mandated them because they're so good. Who cares that you're already injured? You know, we'll either keep getting injured more or leave school. I, I, I fear that the American public will be okay with that. And that, that, that saddens me so greatly. But I have this hope that, that could this be the, the line that they went too far on? And could this law actually bring down the entire vaccine industry because the American public far. will now see them for what they really are. And, and I hope so. I hope that that'll bring down the mandated laws and, and hold them accountable and, 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 and get rid of the, you know, the, the ones that are not safe and, you know, improve safety and, you know, you know, stop all these injuries because now we've gone just one step too far. Yeah. Well, we've destroyed, we have bureaucracy stepping into one of the most sacred spaces of, of liberty, which is my relationship with my doctor, mm-hmm. you know, and, and your relationship with your and, family and, and your, your kids, your, family. your kids yeah. walking yeah. to school yeah. and, right. and ha- going to school and having friends at school. Right. I mean, but we're, I think we have to be careful not to mix the issue of 277. I saw a fair, you know, a couple of politicians today really making, you know, that a parent should have the right to choose what's injected the child. That was ended with SB 277. That's not what 276 is about. But meanwhile, you know, all the supporters yeah. of the bill are making the argument that they believe in vaccines, and that's not what this is about either. Correct. So right. on both sides, right. they're still arguing 277. We're still arguing 277, yeah. which is a mistake. Yeah. Uh, 276 is far – I right. mean, it is so horrific. And talk about Adam splitting. What this could do to medicine it, and the lack of foresight – uh, you know, it, it is like watching third graders run the state of California right now. To not see how dangerous it is to have bureaucracy interfering with medicine uh, and your health um, is really shocking. And to the point who, uh, you know, Senator Pan says this bill is to protect the immune-suppressed mm-hmm. children. What doctor is going to write an exemption? I mean, there's a great video out right now we're going to talk about it on the highway tomorrow showing like 880 yeah. doctors polled said, I'm not going to write an exemption. You know this, Bob. I mean, frankly, there's only a few doctors that even understand right. what autoimmune disease right. is. Right. And you're putting them under investigation for being the only ones available to this community of immune-suppressed children. Right. Frankly, here's, here's the point. If I could sit with Gavin right now and say, if you decide to sign this – then you better take on the full repercussions, which is you better not allow pediatricians to not sign medical exemptions. That shouldn't be allowed. Part of your job is to protect right. children. 
Your Hippocratic Oath is everybody has to be protected. You're not allowed to just shirk your duty and say, I don't understand autoimmune disease, and we don't write any medical exemptions. No, screw you. If the government's going to get involved, then you're going to have to force those doctors to have to write exemptions for people that actually medically need them. Or you're going to leave this group of children so abandoned that there's only two things are going to happen in this state. You're either going to start euthanizing people with autoimmune disease because they have to take a vaccine that could kill them and they're going to, or they're going to have to leave the state. So either way, California is becoming a place that doesn't accept autoimmune disease from a bunch of liberals that fought to allow you in school if you have AIDS, to be in school if you have hepatitis B. You can have these diseases and walk through the school, but God forbid you have an autoimmune disease that precludes you from being vaccinated. What doctor? You tell me what doctor is going to give an exemption to anyone if that exemption immediately puts them under review by the health department. That's like saying, takes this tax exemption. It's a great one, except that, you know, 99% of the time you're going to get audited by the IRS, but don't worry (laughs) about it. It usually turns out pretty good. No one's going to take that exemption. No one's going to take on this risk. Who invites government into their business on purpose? No one's going to. And that's what I'd like to say, Gavin. How many doctors have you talked to that said after SB 276, I will continue to write medical exemptions? Who are they going to be? (laughs) I'd like to know what that list is. Because if if they don't exist, this is one of the most dangerous laws to a susceptible minority group of people that deserve better, that deserve protections. And you're taking away the last protection, which is doctors that actually know they're there, care about them, and plan on taking care of them. Because the reality is doctors who write medical exemptions write more than five a year. Right. And then doctors, the other doctors are ones that just are not willing at all to ever write them. So yes, it's not going to affect them because they're not doing their job. But it has has nothing to do with even writing five anymore. They're they're setting up criteria that nobody's going to meet. There's not going to be a single child that will have the kind of CDC contraindication that will exempt them from from uh, all the vaccines as a group, of course. Yeah. But I mean, you might be exempted from one vaccine. But I mean, that is such a that might be five children in the entire state right. that are going to meet the new criteria of this bill. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, yeah, but it's which which leads to I think the ultimate point, which is I don't believe Senator Richard Pan believes there's anyone that can't be vaccinated. I don't actually believe, and I think we're seeing proof of that. I think, and this is the greatest lie, because the entire concept of herd immunity was really only to protect this immune-suppressed group of children, who, by the way, we don't have any historical reference or proof that an unvaccinated child has ever carried a disease and given it to someone in the susceptible group. This is a mythological problem. You know, it's a hypothetical, hypothetical issue, you know what I mean? Told that to right. legislators. Right. You were passing a bill to save a handful of hypothetical children, mm-hmm. and you're damaging yeah. tens of thousands right. Right. of of real children yeah. that are actually exactly. your constituents that have visited your office. And how can you possibly be okay with that? There was a case of this child who is we call him medically kidnapped. I won't bring up the names, but people probably follow him. A kid in Florida who had been through chemotherapy. His parents said enough is enough. There's no cancer in his body. And yet the medical establishment in New York extricated him out of Florida, brought him back to New York to be forcibly put through chemo again. And, you know, we um, we got a call, you know, our legal team got a call because they wanted to give this kid a flu shot before he went into chemo. And 
So the argument in court, which actually won with the judge, was if this child who has been through chemo already has totally destroyed any white blood cell count, is if this child is not immune suppressed enough to be able to opt out of a vaccine, who is? Mm -hmm. The judge said, that's a really good point. The oncologist said, that's ridiculous. I won't do the chemo unless they get the vaccine. So that's where we're at. The truth is, is they don't believe there's anyone that can't be vaccinated. This whole thing is a ruse to simply take away our rights. And that's what's going on here. I mean, that's what I try to wake people up to. This this doesn't have anything to do with children. This doesn't actually have to do with our children. I really need, and I think we need to get through in, in my research, we got to get through to the, the people in America that they're using children. They're using this herd immunity and immune suppression and fear of measles so that you will write away exemptions for those children. But what you don't recognize is you're taking away your own exemptions because right, right. around the corner right. is the adult vaccine right. mandate. And no one in America sees this coming and it's going to blindside them. And honestly, no one really wants that. There is going to be an uprising the moment we get the call in 2020 that says, by the way, you need healthy people 2020. (laughs) And we have the real ID now in every state. And in order to get your real ID and be able to get on a plane or get on a bus, you're going to have to get your adult vaccines. Right now, that's about 16 vaccinations, but there's 270 vaccines already approved, Mm -hmm. thousands in the pipeline. You're about to be a guinea pig and a moneymaker for – and you're going to turn the pharmaceutical industry from a billion-dollar industry into a trillion-dollar industry overnight. The moment they pass the adult mandate and 340 or 50 million or wherever at Americans have to be vaccinated – and by the way, the world will follow – the pharmaceutical industry will become the most dominating power of the world. That's just not conspiracy theory. This is designed. It's already in. Right. You can, I can point you to the government pages where this is being enacted. And guess what? Every taxi cab driver that hears that asks me what I do. Every school bus driver, yeah. anybody walking down the street says, oh, I'm not. I don't need vaccines. I'm right. doing just fine. Nobody cares about that. And guess what? When you go to say, well, where's those exemptions? Uh, There's a way out of this, right? Oh, no, no, no. You allowed your government to get rid of those while they were screaming about measles that didn't kill anybody in this country for decades. Okay, so the last question I have for you from my my stuff, I have a few more, but I could go on forever uh, with you. Um, What do you say to your critics and what do you wish they understood about you? Well, I think that – and it's funny because I have critics on both sides of the aisle. And really it's what I want both sides to know, that I'm passionate about science. I really am. I believe that there's solutions when science is done correctly and there's solutions to these issues. Um, I'm not – and I mean this. I may not vaccinate my children, and I may not be vaccinated, but that doesn't mean I'm anti-vaccine. Right, of course. I haven't seen a need for a vaccine in my immediate experience, and I haven't seen a vaccine I would trust. Does that mean I don't believe the concept works at all or that I wouldn't use it? Not forever and ever. You know. In fact, I got into a lot of trouble on the high wire when I did an episode about a doctor out of uh, 
Boston who was using BCG vaccine to cure diabetes. Super inter- interesting trials going on. In fact, and a massive success rate. I mean, over 90% in now 10 trials of people's di- type 1 diabetes being reversed three years after receiving two, you know, tuberculosis mm-hmm. vaccines. I had her on the show, and, you know, I, I prompted some controversy by saying, did Dell find a vaccine that he likes? So I sort of asked for it, but I thought my audience, you know, was intelligent enough right. to know that we're going to have an you know an interesting conversation here and first of all it's not a vaccine if it's being used like a drug you know it's sort of a ruse to call it a vaccine if you're giving two to cure diabetes but in that interview i ended up asking the the, the pressing question for me and what i was building to which at that point most of my audience had jumped off and decided i'm now controlled opposition was <laughs> we've all been there right was <laughs> Was I asked her, I said, if introducing tuberculosis to the body in this very raw vaccine, it has no adjuvants. I mean, it's a really simple vaccine. In fact, she had to create her own because the company had stopped making it in the middle of her trial. So she's like roughly throwing this vaccine together. They're also having success with multiple sclerosis in trials in Europe using the same vaccine. I said, you know, and, and by the way, if I had a child with type 1 diabetes, would I consider a trial that's having that success rate when I know type 1 diabetes could shorten my child's life 10 to 20 years? If this works, am I so anti-vaccine? I just, right. because that V word, I'm never, I'm just not that person. It's I'm worth not consideration, right? You're going to consider I'm it. I'm open yeah. to consider science, exactly. no matter what it is, depending on the circumstances. Right. And But I asked her, if introducing tuberculosis to the body through a vaccine is curing type 1 diabetes in your trials and curing multiple sclerosis in trials in Europe, is it possible that vaccinating or or clearing tuberculosis, that tuberculosis has a beneficial effect to the body and maybe we're having autoimmune disease crisis because we're not in contact with tuberculosis anymore. Or other. Or, yeah. But other, specifically, yeah. The, she, and she said... Absolutely. She said tuberculosis Mm -hmm. is one of the most prolific, you know, bacterias in in the in the world. We we've been around it since the beginning of time. And yes, all of the hand washing, the fact that it's not in our water systems anymore, that we've removed it is why we're seeing an increase in autoimmune disease. The body Mm. did use this Mm -hmm. to prime itself to protect against autoimmune disease. That's someone on the other side of the aisle that, you know, and I was like, and watching people just to hate, I just want to say, did you hear what she just said? Do you hear that there's common ground here? And so for all of my critics on all sides, I am not here trying to make myself famous. I mean, I I read articles that said Del Bigtree decided to hop on Andy Wakefield's gravy train. I mean, like that, just like that. I find that just absolutely hysterical. For your five minutes of fame. Right, for my five minutes of fame that I'm here. I have friends, you know, that one particularly in Europe that really is angry with me. And we used to, we were, you know, we wanted to make films together. And back in the days when we were doing projects together, I was like, have you changed that much, you know, in the things you do? We wanted to 
we wanted to affect change in the world. We wanted to be good to society. That's why we were working together. Do you think I've changed that much? Do you think I would really just on a whim with very little evidence find myself in a position where New York Times, Washington Post, like it's, it's, you know, it's where I'm at. Do you think I would keep this going? You know me. You knew me. Right, right. right. I I don't understand it. I was like, well, maybe you really need to open up your mind and start looking at my website, ICanDecide.org, look at the white papers. I have links to every single study I'm talking about. You know, instead of judging right. and sitting out there and saying and, and really praying, and this is what it is, you're praying that I'm wrong. That's really <laughs> yeah. what's going on Because you don't want you to be right. You don't, right. right. You're praying that I'm wrong because if I'm right, right. then you maybe put your own children of at course. risk. Of course. And that, yeah, yeah, I yeah. don't, yeah. that's the part of this I don't know how to get around. That's yeah. a big honest. weight for everyone. It's, I don't know how to get to the finish line right now. Without making you feel bad about a choice that you made. Right. right. Except to say there's more coming. There's an ocean of vaccines that are going to come pouring into your body and your children. Maybe they made it through. Maybe they're one of the lucky ones that has no right. issues, which right. I'm not even sure they exist. I think everybody's got some damage somewhere, whether it's going to appear in 10 years as, as you know, Crohn's disease or multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's. Who knows? You know, or the slight drop in IQ that none of us are paying attention to. I mean, who Just knows? Just toxicity levels. Right. Toxicity overall. levels. And yeah. by the way, vaccines aren't the only things totally. that are, are right, bringing right. toxins. I right. could make these arguments about pesticides and herbicides and yeah. water quality and air quality. But this delivery system is really like none other. This injection right. of these toxins. It's so complicated. And it's so constant and so frequent. And so early but, in development. You know, and that friend that was challenging me in Europe, I I finally said to him, what would it take? What would it take for you to call me one day and say, oh, my God, Del, you were right. You are still the same person I always knew. And I have looked at the evidence and you're right. Or what would it take for you to make that call? And he said, I guess if I saw the head of the CDC got on television and said, it's true, vaccines are causing autoimmune disease and neurological disorders, I was like, oh. I said, so can you send me the video clip where anyone from the tobacco industry, Philip Morris or Marlboro, (laughs) ever got on TV and said, you're right, our product causes cancer? Has that ever happened? I mean, we know it causes cancer. He's like, well, it's written on the labels on the box. Like, that's put there by the government. Yeah, because we've trial. never, they've been forced to do that. Yeah. Right. Have you ever seen anyone that works for that company, any of those companies, admit that product causes cancer? He's like, no, you make a good point. As it because the CDC is never going to do it, they're complicit. They never will. And it's a government agency and all the dangers that that's going to put the government, we will never hear right. it from them. So, what yeah. will it take for you, an intelligent person, to call me? And he said, well, I guess the problem is I'll have to admit that I put my own children in danger to come to yeah. that conclusion. Wow. And I said, you tell me how I get around that, and I'll know how we can finish this. Yeah. Okay, well, that was, uh, that was fascinating, and I'll tell you why I was fascinated with that. Um, you know, I mean, obviously most podcasts are Melissa and I talking and I could just sit here and sit back and just learn about you, Dell. I mean, just learn about just who you are as a person, 
what makes you tick. I mean, just kind of what your passions are. See, aren't just, you so glad yeah. I forced you to do it this way? Because it's so <laughs> interesting. Know, How many times have you already talked with him? And you guys talk all the time in right. different yeah. ways. But how often do we get to know people on a deeper level? People don't ask the questions and we often don't get to go there. But it doesn't yeah. matter how long you've known somebody. It's like right. you can always learn something new. And that's the stuff that's encouraging. Yeah. And, and I mean, so many people watch The High Wire mm-hmm. and you're there educating people. But yeah, I don't think most people never get the chance just to hear you talk about your childhood and your mom and then, you know, growing up that way. And then, you know, kind of behind the scenes of the doctors and, and just kind of how you got, you know, through that part of your life that then set up this next part of your life. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next episode is, you know, the next part of your life, what's going on now with you. And and so, I don't know, I just, I, I appreciate you coming on just so I could kind of just, you're hear welcome. that more about you and You're thank you welcome. Melissa for, for having this idea and yeah I was texting him way. get Dell like when can we get him in like let's get it booked like I want to do it differently come on and he's just like oh. yeah okay but, and then like what was it 10 minutes later I texted you back I got Dell I was super impressed pretty quick that was like 3 or 4 days ago too, which is really the best way I know, honestly I know. like people like can you get Bobby Kennedy come I was like I'll ask him the day before if he's in town yes yeah. if not he's probably you know what I mean yeah. it's really when you get to be as busy as I think we are, yeah. it's really either right now or God knows what's happening two weeks from now. <laughs> well, I'm yeah, sure glad it was right now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A so, great way to start yeah. season two. So, so yeah. thanks. And um, I appreciate uh, learning more about you. And so, you know, people, uh, you can, um, you know, don't forget to, you know, rate and review us as usual. You can uh, check us this out. Is season on, two. This we is season two. We don't have to say two. that anymore. Oh, okay, yeah, we got, we have over a thousand ratings now. I know. Woo-hoo, thank you guys. And, uh, we, you know, um, Dell will will say this in the other episodes, but but how can people find you and how can people can follow you and, and yeah, I mean, so you know, we put a lot of work into our weekly show, The High Wire with Dell Big Tree. You still can find it on Facebook <laughs> for um, now. For anyway. now, who knows? By the time this podcast is out there, that may not be the case. <laughs> Uh, YouTube, iTunes, other places like that. I mean, you can get it as a podcast, but I come from television, and so we really enjoy making the show a visual experience. So I think mm-hmm. that. But there's a lot of people tell me they listen to it in their car and while they're driving, and so I'm glad it holds up that way. But you know, I have a great team. Uh, really doing a lot of research uh, to make sure that we sort of stay on top of the the issues that are happening. So the high wire is a great um, space to sort of follow what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. But then there's sort of like the you know the adult side of me, which is my nonprofit's website, I can decide dot org, mm-hmm. you know, my nonprofit's the Informed Consent Action Network, I can. So go to ICANDecide.org and you know check out the white papers and the lawsuits. We've won lawsuits against government agencies. We've won you know one lawsuit against the National Institute of Health. One lawsuit against Health and Human Services. We just settled a case. Essentially, we won a case against FDA, um, and uh, and we have cool. letters and challenges against UNICEF and World Health Organization. So you can follow all of that. And we're going to get awesome. into yeah, this yeah, in some detail too. So, that's a great place thing to check out. Awesome. All right. Well, we will see you guys next time on the Vaccine Conversation for part two of Tell Big Tree. The 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 Delphi. Hey guys, we'll catch you guys next time.
The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.